Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast. This is Antonio, and welcome to episode 98 for the end of May, beginning of June, almost, right into summer. Oh, man, where did the time go? Yeah, I can't believe it's already almost June. So, uh, yeah, I have a nice special episode today. I've, um, I have a discussion with, uh, my friend and other fellow podcaster, Dave Swiduck of the adventures in creativity podcast. And yeah, it was kind of a last minute thing. I'm uh, very happy that he was able to join me and, uh, we recorded it last night and I'm just recording this, uh, this intro separately because, uh, I wanted to write, get right into the discussion, but we're talking about, uh, the sort of the idea of cinema, the cinematic look in photos. And, uh, you know what? I was just going to let the, the, um, let the discussion speak for itself in a way. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to, I just came back, uh, I was out and I just met, uh, Tom from switch to manual, the, the guys, the switch to manual guys. Now, you know, I, d- I took the uh, switch to manual out of the, the, uh, podcast name for the time being, uh, because I just haven't been running the switch to manual, uh, website in a little while. I wanted to sort of consolidate that and figure out what I'm going to do with it. But, uh, Tom and his family came in from Arizona and we just spent, uh, about an hour together at a coffee shop where, where, where switch to manual actually started. And so I just came in and sat down and, uh, I just left him and his family and they're just visiting New York for 10 days. They're doing all the touristy things and it sounds great. So I met his wife and his two kids and, uh, we had a blast and, I think sometime in the fall, uh, I'm going to have him on the show again. Uh, he's his schedule's freed up a little bit since he's uh, now doing his dissertation in uh, his school. But uh, he showed me um, when I met his son. Uh, his son was showing me the photography he was doing. His, his son has got a great eye, and I thought, whoa, wouldn't it be great to have? Tom and uh, his son on the show at some point later on. So I'll work on that and, and see when we can get them together. And it would be great to talk to them as a father-son team uh, in photography. And uh, so anyway, I wanted to share that. I was just, I just literally walked in uh, from my uh, breakfast with uh, with Tom of Switch to Manual. So I'll post the, the selfie I took <laughs> in front of the coffee shop where it all began. So anyway, let's get into this episode 98 with David Swiduck and talking about uh, the cinematic look in photos. So Dave Swiduck, thank you so much for joining me at this last minute. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime, anytime, man. And, um, you know, we were talking offline about, uh, you know, um, I want this episode. I want to talk about, you know, why we, um, why some people want to have their photographs look, uh, cinematic would that be the right word cinematic oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah and uh we were talking offline about this and you were uh talking to me about um what you uh recorded in your latest podcast so for anybody who who doesn't know dave dave has a podcast called adventures in creativity am i saying that right yeah yep Absolutely. Um, plug it a little bit. I want to. I, <laughs> I want you to tell people about the show because there's some people who probably don't know about it. And I'm, sure. I'm sure you get this in right away. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, it's 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 kind of an offshoot show that started from my other show I do with my two best friends on Digital Soup, and I got into this thing where I wanted to start interviewing different creatives and just talk about their process and kind of just quote unquote geek out about what they do. 
And we decided it just didn't fit with the main show we were doing there, which is very kind of geek and tech central, you know, just goofing around fun. So I spun it off into its own show. And so what Adventures in Creativity is at this point, it's a mix of episodes where primarily you'll get three to four, sometimes a little more episodes where I try and keep them shorter, 15 minutes, half hour, maybe for the most part, where it's just me talking to you, you know, whoever's listening, we're just talking about different, you know, thoughts about creativity or maybe things I'm inspired by, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. And then I try and also mix in interviews with all sorts of different creatives. It could be photographers, could be uh, writers, could be, I talked to a guy who did uh, some amazing artwork with metal, um, creating of all things silverware, but um, his process was fascinating. So that all was kinds a great of, episode, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's off the wall, but it's kind of all based around the idea that, you know, when you look out in the, in the podcast world or, or on the internet and you start looking up creativity, almost without fail, not, not 100%, but almost without fail, anytime you read about creativity, it seems to flow directly into needing to turn it into a creative career. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm all for it, you know, not not to say there's anything wrong with that. But my idea was just kind of a place where we can just have fun, go on an adventure, and um, just explore the, the pure simpleness of creative pursuits without having to worry about the money side of it yeah, or no pressure, any of that. No pressure, yeah. yeah, it's it's just very casual, very much kind of the mindset that everybody does something creative, and I really love finding out what what people are up to so that's kind of what the show is about so great and um that show with the i just have to take a side uh, step yeah. here for a second that show with the guy who created the silverware the mm-hmm. flatware yeah uh, it was so good and it was it was in a way so uh, left field kind of thing because <laughs> yeah. you know i know you're a photographer and you're talking about creatives and like, right. the first person i wouldn't think of talking to is someone who created silverware Right. And listening to it, you know, washed the silverware out of it. It's really going down to the, <laughs> you know, going into the into the mindset of somebody who can make uh, something out of nothing, uh, essentially. And Exactly. Yeah. And the short of it is I'm saving some money so I can buy that flatware. <laughs> that <laughs> well, he's, in, he's kind of in your neck of the woods, not in the city, but just, just north of you there in, in New York State. So Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, the prices were not bad for his no. work, you know. And, and we're looking to, I showed my wife and she was like, I said, do you like the stuff with the skulls? And she's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. And the fact that he he literally goes in and, and hand carves all of this stuff to make the, the I guess, prototype or whatever. And then once he gets it finished and, and everything's good to go, then they convert that into their process for, you know, a little bit more mass producing. Because there's no way you could hand carve all of that, you yeah, know, for yeah, that'd be crazy. a business. But they have a way where they can change their tools. But the, the fact that he comes up with these designs and he hand carves them, works them all out, you know, just old-fashioned tools, you know, banging on metal and, and carving and things like that, it, it's, it was fascinating. Yeah. And... um what was I going to say about that? Uh, I just spaced out for a second. <laughs> um, well, anyway, tell us about, okay, so that's the gist of your show. And like I said, it's a great show. And everybody who's listening to this show must subscribe to Dave's show. Oh, thank I you. insist. Um, <laughs> because I get a lot of a lot of uh, creative energy from listening to you talk, and it just gets me thinking in a different way. And so right. uh, as photographers, it's something that we always, you know, seem to struggle with is what are we going to do? How are we going to create, uh, people sometimes even 
photographers themselves can think their their own work is like, well, I just click a shutter and I don't do anything, and that's not yeah. true. You know, we're creating something out of a nothing, uh, which is uh, the way I like to think about it. And so it's great to hear you on your show talking to people who are not necessarily other photographers, right? Um, right. And, and bring in that creative gen- energy that we all sort of would love to tap into. So, you know, what I tell students a lot is like, you know, you have to go to a museum. You have to mm-hmm. look at other pictures. You have to look at sculptures, you know, I like to say, because it's so far from being a photograph. And I said, you have to look at these other disciplined, you know, artists to, right. to, to at least get, get out of your own little box. Yep. And I think that your show is doing that for us as well. Like your show is almost like going to a museum. You know, you're taking us <laughs> on a tour of, you know, the different creative disciplines. And so, um, you know, I love plugging your show. And I, and I also <laughs> think that it's a necessity, like a show like yours is a necessity for us, all creatives, to um, be able to sort of move outside of our little boxes. Oh, man, I'm I'm totally blushing right now but yeah you should you. be <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I really want people to listen to your show I think we need to um, get that your voice out more and and, uh, and I want to hear all the other people that you're intending to <laughs> to um, to interview because you're finding these people and you know I'm not so you know I'm thankful that you're bringing them to my ears so oh, awesome I Thank appreciate you. it it's, so, it's my pleasure so with that being said, sort of let's yeah. dovetail into like your latest episode without giving it away, but yeah. we want people to listen to, but mm-hmm. that's going to sort of get into our topic that you and I are going to talk about. So right, go well, you know, just give a little like a trailer version of yeah, what you're talking so about. So essentially what happened is every month on the Digital Soup Podcast, we do a movie review episode. We, we all three pick a movie, and then we just spend one episode where we take the bulk of that episode and just review it. What we thought of it, you know, is have fun talking about it, geeking out about it. And they picked, uh, the one we had to do this this month was the movie Sicario from 2015. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, oh yeah, it was yeah. fantastic. And in watching that, uh, I knew it was coming up. We recorded that actually um, just the other night here. It'll drop on Friday the, the 31st here of May. Uh, that review, but in watching that, I had other plans for this week's episode on adventure, crea- adventures and creativity, and I, I watched this film over the weekend, and it just visually like slapped me across the face <laughs> and was like, man, what are you doing? This is what you were looking for, and it almost to the point like it was so good, which led me to start looking up more about the cinematographer, uh, Roger Deakins, and I, I knew his name from other movies I'd, I'd seen and heard of. I mean, he's he's definitely a well-known cinematographer. He's done, like, Blade Runner 2049. He finally won his first Oscar for mm-hmm. But he's done a ton of other movies. No Country for Old Men, um, James Bond, Skyfall, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? All of these visually just beautiful movies. And it led me down this rabbit hole, and I was I was just kind of blown away. And so I did the, the most recent episode... Since I had just watched the movie anyway, I put together some thoughts about the visuals and, and how he as a cinematographer went in and was able to kind of really just serve the story. You know, he, he mm-hmm. wasn't trying to draw attention to his visuals, but they're just so good <laughs> that you you can't help but get sucked in. He creates such a perfect world for those characters to sit in and to do their thing. And he, he does so much with like... Um, like practical lighting and things uh-huh. like that. And his use of color, I mean, 
there's there's so much he goes into there, and I, I kind of break it down a little, you know, a little more detail in, in the yeah, episode I, I just did. I can't wait to listen to that. Yeah, and I mean, I I'm no, I'm not a cinematographer, I'm no expert, but this this is my opinion as a photographer, what I'm seeing, and it just really clicked with me, and so that's when we were we were chatting a little bit earlier today, and I, ha- I had this moment where I was like, you know, lately, you know, kind of struggling, feeling like things just weren't quite clicking for me with my work. There was something that wasn't. Mm-hmm wasn't doing it. And I've been trying, you know, banging my head against the wall, trying to figure out what it is. And I had this great feeling of, ah, I found, you know, I, I just learned a little bit more about myself as I did this episode and over the course of this week that I really think that the reason why it hasn't been clicking is I want to take more of a cinematographer approach to things. Ah. And, and I don't mean just slapping that orange and teal filter on it and bringing the faded <laughs> yeah. levels up mm-hmm. and, and giving it a special crop. That's not what I'm talking about necessarily. But then I was hit immediately within 20 minutes, and that's what I wrote in our chat, like, oh, it feels great. I just figured out this new little piece of the puzzle, and now suddenly I realize that I don't know anything anymore <laughs> because there's a mountain <laughs> of information to learn. And it was this kind of kind of amazing and and mm-hmm. terrifying feeling all at once. So that's that's what we were chatting about earlier. Yeah, and so um, I I can't wait to hear your ta- your your thoughts about that on your show. Like, is it up already? Oh yeah, yep. Okay, it went so, up uh, Tuesday morning. All right, so that's my listening to tomorrow while I'm working. <laughs> I get <laughs> awesome. to hear your voice. And as you were saying that, you know, and I'm thinking like you, for me. I'm, you know, trying to come up with a subject for the show and you came in in the last minute. I'm really thankful that you could spend some time with me. And I'm thinking one of the topics that I didn't really ever talked about was this idea of making one's pictures look more cinematic. Right. And as I was coming home on the train tonight, of course, I'm always thinking about this stuff at the last minute because I do everything at the last minute. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you know, what is it about? pictures photographs being you know uh looking cinematic why is this a thing now this is not necessarily what you're talking about or is it Mm -hmm. Uh, um partially partially not i mean yeah i'd I'd say partially because i mean if if we were to be honest and this isn't to slam anybody or talk down to anybody um but if you think if you went to say instagram right now and you plugged in in the search bar um hashtag cinematic Mm -hmm. photography what you're going to find is what I think most people think of when they think of cinematic. And that's kind of what I was mentioning earlier, where they're going to give it that faded look. So it's got to look faded because cinematic stuff looks faded. And it's got to have a lot of these really, um, you know, obviously the, the teal-orange combination, the color plays a big role there. And people think that that's all they need to do is really just add that kind of quote-unquote cinematic color preset and it's going to make their films look cinematic. Mm-hmm. But to me, what clicked for me was, especially the more I looked at at the way uh, Roger Deakins approaches his filmmaking, it's so much more than that. In fact, he's brilliant with his use of color, and that plays a vital role in what he does. But he's not doing it just to do it. Everything right. he does is, you know, from the lighting, the framing, everything is is to basically help further the story that's being told in that film. And when I started thinking about it, applying to my own work, I kind of envisioned it as, you know, what if, what if as a photographer, you know, we're walking around, like you do a lot of street photography. 
I don't really do so much of that because I live in a small town. I, I do what I call my street photography, which is just my empty streets. Empty and, streets, but yeah, small town, <laughs> you know, small town Americana life. But whether you're you're roaming around out in the woods or you're you know taking portraits or you're doing street photography, what if you started looking at things with that same attention to detail, where you were really watching the lighting, you were really doing everything you could to make sure that everything was serving this story, and the story being. You are the lead actor, essentially. You're, you're the director mm-hmm. in your life, basically. And, and you're in control of what narrative you're going to show everybody. And so if you really, like I started thinking about it and, and looking at it from the aspect of, yes, color is going to play a big role in that. you know. But there's plenty of black and white films that were phenomenally shot as well. But it's more of the idea of, okay... How can I control my framing, the lighting, and the things that I have in my control, especially when I'm not doing like a setup shot where I'm, you know, lighting the scene and all of that. Right, right. But how can I approach that and and kind of twist that cinema, uh, cinematography feel that into my own work and, and give it just something more interesting? So whether it's a series of photos working all together in unison or just a single photo, that's going to leave someone wondering you know, kind of what the rest of the story is, what happens next kind of a feeling. It's interesting because as you're saying this, the first thing that pops into my mind is um, photographing using film. Right. Now, not because of the cinema look of film, but everything right. you described, like I'm thinking about, I, you know, I'm getting back into film a little bit too. You know, I've got mm-hmm. my medium for my camera and the stuff that you're talking about is kind of the things I'm thinking about when I'm shooting film because, you know, I want to do, I'm doing one for, you know, slowing down this idea of slowing down and being thoughtful about the process, thoughtful about the picture I'm about to take. And there's practical reasons for that, of course, because, Mm -hmm. you know, film's expensive these days and (laughs) and it, it, it takes a long time to deal with the film. It's not like I can go home and immediately do something with it. So some of the stuff that you're talking about is what I'm, going through when I'm taking my twin lens reflex camera out yep. onto, you know, wherever I'm going. Um, and it's not this issue of shooting film just because I'm shooting film. It makes it look so right. cinematic. That doesn't really work because right. actually movie film looks a lot different and you got to do a lot of processing to get the looks and stuff like that. Right. Um, so that, that's interesting. It was really, it was really funny to, that you're saying that and I'm thinking, yeah, well <laughs> I do that, but I'm doing it when I'm shooting film. Now to, to do that in any process, like whether you're shooting film or shooting digital, whatever it is, to be more thoughtful and paying attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that would be uh, okay. Well, that's one step in that in that direction. <laughs> I know it right. is. I mean, it's like thinking like, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, you're I, I, just like if you're approaching uh, making a film, people, you don't just wake up in the morning and decide that you're going to make a movie. There's a right. whole process. Right, it's it. storyboarded out, and and you know scene for scene what you're shooting for, what details you want to include to tell this story. And I realize that, you know, for a lot of the photography that I do, I'm not I'm not doing the type of stuff where I'm gonna set up these big elaborate scenes and light them and and pose people and do hire actors all this stuff. Right. But I do think that there's a way, like you said, exactly at that slowing down, that more intentional approach. Where simply, you know, when you bring your camera to, to your eye or, you know, you look down at the viewfinder, whatever it is, there's something in that scene that's making you drawn to it, whatever mm-hmm. it is. There's some mm-hmm. story there that you're resonating with. 
But I think that, like for myself personally, oftentimes I'll I'll have that happen. I'll pull up the camera, boom, I fire off my shot. And if it's a subject that's not, you know, just one of those instant moments, mm-hmm. maybe I, I look around, try and find a different angle, whatever it is, work it a little bit, and then I move on. But I, I very rarely stop to think about, you know, the simple question of, okay, what's the story here? What right. what am I seeing? Because I think with digital, it's so easy to, to feel like, okay, I'll just take a bunch of pictures and I'll figure out the story later. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, sometimes, Sorry, sometimes you can. Yeah, work. I do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm guilty of it too. And and I think it's it's one of these things where, by taking just even a split second to think, all right, what what drew me to this? What's the story I want to convey? I think it can make a world of difference. And and it has me since I kind of had this realization over this last week, and especially it, I was sitting at work today, and it literally just. Bam, it hit me. I'm like, whoa, I just, I, I get it. Something clicked for me. Mm. And it took that week of thinking about it and, and kind of, you know, free time I had, any, any little bit of free time I was looking up different, um, you know, still frames and, and analyzing of, mm-hmm. you know, people analyzing Deacon's work and all this stuff and how he works. And it, it just finally clicked. And then I, I all of a sudden felt like, oh, man, what what did I just stumble into, though? <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of it's it's exciting. Well, it's a rabbit it's, hole. Yeah, you know? it's a rabbit hole. It's exciting, but I, I mean, I'm super excited to see what I can do with it as I start to be able to, to force myself to work on it more. And it's always good to have a new challenge to work on, but it's terrifying feeling like, oh no, everything up to now, how I approach <laughs> approach my work, <laughs> all of a sudden I kind of have to unlearn that. You know, and and force myself into some new habits. That sounds like a, um, I want to say a typical artist um, moment, but <laughs> it, it, no, but I hear you hear about that a lot. Where yep, you know, you've been doing this stuff for a while, and suddenly you're like, wait a minute, and and something new comes along, and you're like, I have to not reinvent yourself, but right, you got to rethink what it's all about, and it just sounds familiar. It sounds like the path that that m- many artists have, have gone on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, you mentioned it to me today, and I was like, you know, same with me, brother, man. I'm like, <laughs> I feel, you know, I, I, can, I couldn't quite put words to it until you said that, and I was like, oh, uh-huh. you know what? That, that makes sense. And yeah, it's great that you're, you're coming to the realization that, you know, you might have to start going off into a different direction or the excitement of something new. And uh, <laughs> I, I kind of want to follow your journey a little bit and see where it takes you and then... And then <laughs> Hopefully some of that rubs off on me, but well, it's it's all an adventure, right? That's that's yeah, why I, 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 so I, I called it that. my podcast. That that kind of some people laugh and say it's kind of cheesy sounding, but that's really how I approach it. Because for me, I don't I don't pursue my creative pursuits um, as anything more than I mean I take it very seriously and I work very hard to be good at what I'm doing, whether it's the music I've been playing my whole life or photography, which I've been doing I don't know 10, 15 years now and but that I, I don't necessarily want to do it as a career either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I have that freedom where I have a stable day job that pays the bills and I don't have to worry about how am I going to put food on the table. Yeah, yeah. So I get that room to, to play. And mm-hmm. everything's kind of just a new adventure. Even in that, <laughs> I try and remind myself, I mean, Lord knows, you and I have talked about it when I've been in some some funky places with it where I'm like, oh, everything sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this. I suck at it. I'm throwing it away. And it's like, even in those times, I, I try and remember that, look, 
why are you stressing out so much? Because you're you're doing it for enjoyment. And yeah, I I certainly want people to see it and appreciate it and you know all that. I'd be lying if I if I said mm-hmm. I didn't. But at the end of the day, it's like pushing myself, you mm-hmm. know, to mm-hmm. see what I do. And it, it's so you know, we, we hit a point. I, I don't know if it's so much changing a direction, you know, like you were talking about that artist journey kind of. Yeah, yeah. As it is, you know, we hit those plateaus and in early on we learn so much so quickly. It's always exciting, you know. Something new every 15 minutes, it feels like, mm-hmm. when you just get into something. And then as you get to know more and more and you get more comfortable with it, more experience, those stretches of learning new things about yourself as an artist really take a long time to hit. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. This just popped in my head, too. Yeah. Because there's uh, – well, first of all, I want to say, uh, you know, I'm coming from a, a – I have to yeah. unlearn what I learned because – I grew up in the photo business as it, it being a commercial right. venture. You know, I mean, I love doing it, but mm-hmm. um, and when I got out of school, I went right into a photo business that was like, oh, look, I can make money shooting pictures. <laughs> and, it, right. and it did. I did. It worked, and I, I, I yep. enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, I spent so much time looking at when I was taking pictures, formatting them in such a way to think like, okay, well, yeah. how would this picture sell? Exactly. You know? yeah. And I think I spent more time with commercial photographers. I mean, there's there's an art in commercial photography, too. You know, like uh, Absolutely. one of my favorite commercial photographers was an artist is Irving Penn. Total commercial photographer. <laughs> right. Uh, artist as well. Yep. Um, so doing that for so long and then having that sort of peter out, but my brain is not quite out of that system yet. Uh, probably why I went into street photography more because it's so opposite, right? Right. I'm not, you know, making stock photography with shooting pictures of people on the street. You just can't do that. Right. So, but trying to say to myself, it's okay to do this. This is, you know, you know, now that I'm not making money in photography, like, you know, I used to. Right. Now I can be creative, you know, and I don't have to worry. Like what you're saying, like I don't have to worry about, you know, does this picture, is it going to generate income? Is it going to, am I going to, even if I say, you know, it's not going to be in a gallery, I'm not going to, mm-hmm. you know, do anything with it other than, you know, post it someplace, share it, enjoy it, and that's it. But it's really interesting. But my, my going back to my question, what I wanted to ask you, the, the difference between you and me, and I, I don't mean to set this up in a bad way, <laughs> is that I went to school for photography. Yeah. And I went to, I went and took a lot of classes. And so, mm-hmm. My um, to somehow equate it to what you're saying is like, oh man, I lost my point. But it was like, there's something about having learned it in a uh, learn photography art, the process in yep. some sort of uh, regimented, uh, scheduled way. Right. Very structured. Is, yeah, very structured. It's different than when you. Uh, the way you're talking about it, and a mm-hmm. lot of other photographers came into it, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. Oh, no, there's, yeah. There's just a different, um, I don't know, there's something about that that, that um, I'm trying to make a connection to. And I don't know if you see the connection or disconnection. I, like, I think so, and, and I think, honestly, the biggest the biggest kind of way I can I see it from, from both yourself and other individuals I've known, photographers very well, who were... Um, I guess you'd say professionally trained through school Um, and and they've taken that path compared to someone like myself who I I picked it up as a hobby, fell in love and then began the, you know, 
voracious reading and mm-hmm. watching of videos and, and working with other photographers, learning from them, all of those kinds of things. I think the biggest split happens at the beginning, really, because for someone like me, um, not having that structure of the school, like you went through this very regimented program, like we're going to get from point A to point B here, we're going to give you all the skills you need and then release you out into the world and it's up to you. For someone like me, I have no idea what skills I need because I'm just picking it up, whatever interests me. So it's kind of willy-nilly all over the place at first where you're, you know, it took me, this will sound stupid now, and I I laugh at it at this point because I've been doing it long enough where it's hard to remember that time. Mm -hmm. But there was a time where I really, 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 I mean, seriously struggled with trying to understand the the simple concept of what the heck those f-stop numbers meant. I knew what they. I knew when I turned yeah. that that mm-hmm. ring and I, I changed that setting. I knew what it did to my picture, but I didn't yeah. know what those numbers meant. Yeah. I still am not one of these people that can on off the top of my head. I can't go down and tell you like a stop chart, like, okay, you're at a 500th, go down two stops. I can't give you off the top of my head, oh, that's a one, 125th or, you know, whatever it right, is. Right, right. Oh. I never had that education. I can figure it out. I have to take a second. I'm like, okay, that's here, that's here, mm-hmm. that's here. Okay, I got it. And that's because of the, the rigidness. But when you think about it, once you get that technical base built up, it's almost like the two paths because they release you from school and say, all right, go do your thing. We've taught mm-hmm. you everything you need. Boom, you're out in the world, and those two paths cross right there. And I, I think that's where things get interesting because I, I still believe, and this is just from a viewpoint of not having gone through school, but I don't think you can learn creativity from any textbook or any school. I think the only way you learn that is by learning to get to know yourself. And that sounds kind of hippie-ish, I guess, now that I hear it ah, out, you know, out loud. <laughs> yeah, when I say it out loud, it sounds kind of kind of strange. But, I mean, we all have such different elements that make up whatever creativity is to us mm-hmm. you know whatever we see however we approach things that no amount of book learning i mean the technical stuff gives you the base to be able to basically execute whatever it is you're thinking about right yeah it's the, the manual <laughs> right exactly mm-hmm. and and once you once either side gets to that point where you have the proficiency in the technical base where okay yeah you know what f-stops are you know you know you know how to do lighting you know this basic stuff and I'm not saying that it's just all basic. I mean, there's very advanced lighting techniques. But you get to a point where the technical stuff only takes you so far. And that's where those paths meet, I think, because the creative, you know, the, the, the person who went through school is battling constantly to try and think outside the box of rules they were given. Right, right. Whereas the other side, the you know, oftentimes like like the unprofessionally unschooled side they don't know all, all those rules, so they're constantly battling the how the heck do I make this happen? This thing I can see, I can't figure out how to do it. So there's always they're both battling, but something yeah. different. The end goal is they're both trying to just execute whatever they see and get to the heart of what they're actually doing. Okay, so I have an aha moment. <laughs> gotcha. Well, and this ties back into the into the subject in general. Sure. So you're talking about Roger Deakins, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Famed cinematographer, yeah. Uh, the movies, the long list. I'm, I would be reasonably sure that he went to school oh. to learn. Oh. <laughs> I would, I would be positive yeah. of that. Yeah, you know, and I, I think you're probably. I mean, again, this is not. I'm not trying to say you got to go to school. And do this oh stuff. no, it's exactly. not a thing to to say. But <laughs> it's funny that, you know, you're um, suddenly latched onto this guy, and he he's an older 
gentleman. Oh yeah, uh, he's been around for a while. Um, I don't. I know most of. I know like. I, I couldn't point to a film that that's a Deacon's film, but like mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, and I, I know, yeah, yeah, you know, like I know well, this guy's stuff. Yeah, that's well, the fascinating and, and, thing about Deacon's though. That's where he's a little different than a lot of cinematographers out there. You really, when you say you can't point to one of his films and say that's a Deacon's film, that's by his choice because he he has you can find quotes multiple times in interviews. He says he has he doesn't feel he has an actual style. Right, and the the reason being, you look at some cine- cinematographers, Christopher Nolan films, you know the people mm-hmm. he works with. You know that's a Nolan film. You know it's X Y Z. You know, cinematographer, director, yeah, Spielberg it's, it's, too. You Spielberg, know, they, they his, have a his look. Different, yeah, yeah, yeah. And things. and because Deacon's approach is literally just to examine each and every film as its own unique thing, and then figure out the way to do it in a way that's going to serve that story. Mm-hmm. He has this ability to do it, which is amazing, but he's not following, like, one film doesn't necessarily look like another. I mean, right. he shot The Big Lebowski, and right, he also is, shot <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. They look right. nothing alike. Right, two different things, which is great yeah. because, they again, he's serving the film. Right. right? You know? Uh, serving what the what the story is, and he's part of you know in the sense he's part of a team as well. Right, it's a whole thing. To, but to to get back to this for a second, this idea yeah, yeah. that we're um, admiring him, and mm-hmm. I I love the guy's work too. And this is someone who learned, you know, stuff in the box. You right, know, he learned the rules. He learned this and that. Now he's making his own rules. You know, he's got his own right his own patterns and stuff like that. So just to, I want to take a couple of steps back for a second before sure. we get too far in this, because yeah, I yeah. want to go into, uh, I want to get this sort of out of the way because I wrote these down. But um, why do you think, this is this is sort of an open question, and I'm just going to go through them. I'm take my glasses off because I can't read with my glasses <laughs> on sometimes. <laughs> um, first of all, why, why this, I'm going to go here, list. Why the cinema look? Why do people want the cinema look? Uh, and what is the cinematic style anyway? And I wrote these down just I was on the train ride. Mm-hmm. What do people equate with cinema style? Uh, shallow depth of field, mm-hmm. uh, deep depth of field, colors, texture, story, feeling, angles, framing. Um, all those are the kind of things that just popped in my head when I think, okay, well, what? And, and you were talking about uh, the aspects that you're approaching as well. Like mm-hmm. you're the director of your own life. And right. Why do we want these? I know people want, like, I, I looked at them up. I was like, you know, how to make your pictures look cinematic, how to make them yeah. look cinematic. Okay, there's a million different ways, and, and you can follow this director, and you can create. Yeah. Uh, one of the episodes I had with um, my friend, my coworker, um, uh, Reed. Yep, that was, was about on. the color grading. But the color grading, yeah. Yep. And we talked about that. Um, uh, I can't remember what he named it, but the the blue and orange, you know, yep. color grading that everybody seems to hate. Yep. Um, why is it that? Excuse me. Why is it that people want this? Well, you know, and co- color is interesting. I'm going to yeah. ask another question because yeah, I'm looking at away. my own stuff and I'm like, you know, I can I can apply a filter to it, right? Mm-hmm. And it looks cinematic, and mm-hmm. you know, v- uh, VSCO filters or, or presets yep. in Lightroom and. There's an endless sources of this stuff, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I, to to talk to my students sometimes, I say, look, you know, you, you shoot these pictures, you know, you want them to look great, and if you throw a black and white filter to make them look cool, you're doing the wrong thing. 
Right. Because that's not why you make a picture black and white. You have to serve the story. Why are you doing this? Exactly. But I just get the sense that people want pictures to look somatic. Now, I don't think that's what you want. No. You're, you're in a deeper, you know, and I want to get more into that. But I want to get this thing out of the way first. Well, and um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head because when I you did? said, <laughs> yeah, I, I, when you said what, what you do a search on the Internet and what do you see? Tons of tutorials, tons of all this stuff. And what is it all about? A filter, a preset, um, a one-click solution. Maybe it's an in-depth tutorial how to, you know, do some color grading to make it look cinematic. But I, I really think that the cinematic look, yes, color plays a vital role in that. Mm-hmm. And when you start looking at it, there's very strong reasons why people are using this teal and orange combo because of what it does on an emotional level when viewers see it. Um, it, it helps trigger certain mood and, and things like that. Now, that's not the only look, you know, color scheme to look at. You know, being a cinematic photographer in my mind, and you think about it, not every movie is a Blade Runner. You know, where you're seeing these neon... And, and I'm thankful for that. Well, exactly. <laughs> no, as beautiful really, I mean, as it is. It's like my eyes would just go... Oh, right. <laughs> but, I mean, as beautiful as it is, you, you look at another movie, you know, similar... Well, not even similar, but, uh, you know, simpler movie, I guess, to look at. Look at something like uh, The Truman Show with, with Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Some beautiful cinematic moments in there as far as the visuals and what they did. It has nothing to do with this crazy teal and orange, right, right, right. you know, yeah. neon look. It's very, very specific in its color palette and the way it uses color to bring you along on his emotional journey through that movie. But And that's how color plays a role. But to me... There's there's not some kind of one click preset that's that that is able to give you a cinematic look because I really feel like that has to come with the way that you're framing your shot, the way that you're you're setting everything up. It's not just cropping it to a sixteen by nine that doesn't make it cinematic. Right, right. Yeah, it's the same shape, but you know, or even you, even the longer the panoramic. Yeah, the you know, the one yeah. what is it one point seven something or. Uh, one six one. Yeah, there's, to one there's a or whole something. bunch of different ratios. Yeah. But yeah, you're cropping into it. It doesn't. It works for a movie, but it may not work for a photograph. Right. It's just you know how you're going to display it. You know. Right. And whatever. But yeah. Um, I was going through. I have a. I have a photo gallery on my phone of mm-hmm. movie stills. Oh, perfect. That I that I just grab from movies that I love. You know how everybody is sort of obsessed with the full-frame cameras and they want the shallow depth of field. You laugh. <laughs> As a Fuji shooter, I laugh. I know, I know, I do. I, I've been, I've, I've had a uh, uh, APS-C sensor since I first got my first professional digital camera because I was on Nikon's and mm-hmm. Nikon's didn't come out with full-frame cameras until relatively recent in the yeah. digital um, well, uh, line. I sold off my full-frame Nikon's and switch to the Fuji Gear APS-C oh, really? size again. And I have never blinked twice. And it yeah. wasn't even a consideration for me. Well, you know, having done that and grown up that way, and then, mm-hmm. uh, again, I, I also do some filming with my cameras. But right. like, you got to have a full-frame camera because of the shallow <laughs> depth of field and the this, that, and the other thing, and it's more yep. cinematic and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, like, you know what? No, that's not really true. There's a no. perception that this idea of shallow depth of field is more cinematic. But mm-hmm. as I'm going through my my list of pictures here from movie movie stills, mm-hmm. I would say 
95% of them yep. are shots with incredibly deep depth of field. Oh, yeah. You know? And I, I'm thinking, like, pretty much every movie I like that means something to me that I watch, mm-hmm. there's very few times that there's a shallow depth of field image. Yeah, and, and you might see quick moments where they do something to bring out a detail. Right. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember what the film was. We watched it a while back for a review, but... Um, the whole movie, it's, it's, you know, like you say, there's, there's depth in that image and you want that because that's what makes you as a viewer feel like you can step into this world up on that giant screen, you know? Yeah, that's the whole point and kind of the point of the movie. Right. Well, even in Sicario, I guess I'll use that as an example. There, there's a scene and I, I didn't really talk about this in, in my episode, so it's, it's perfect, but there's a scene early on, they go to, to do this big bust in this house. Um, where they find all those dead bodies and everything. Mm-hmm. And they, they all this action is happening, and it's shot. Deakins likes to shoot with typically fairly wide lenses. Like, he doesn't use telephoto lenses. A lot of his stuff, he likes to just push in close, more wide angle. And so you're seeing these big, wide shots of an open room. A truck comes blasting through the whole wall and all this crazy stuff happening. And right before it happens, you see this very shallow depth of field shot where it's just the light coming through hitting the edge of a curtain i believe and the dust particles floating for mm, just a second mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's it's just like 2 or 3 seconds in that scene just a quick beat and then they go to the wide shot of the room and boom it's all you know you're you're looking back in like that f11 you know range right, f- right, right. whatever so you've got depth through the scene and that's cinematically oftentimes how it's used is is to highlight certain beats I can't imagine watching a full movie that was shot at like f one point four. No, no. A, oh my be, gosh, it would it would be insane to photograph too because would, <laughs> right. those guys setting up the cameras be like, no, no, got to move back an inch. No, no. Yeah, oh, focus. you, you uh, leaned a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to lock focus. That yeah, the 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 um, the language of film. Means mm-hmm. that shallow depth of field, deep depth of field, color, texture, story, like yep. these serve the story of yep. the film. They're part of the language, and so you're, you know, you're talking about Deacon's color or color in a movie. Yeah, is also part of the language exactly of the uh, of the film. They they, it, they tell you subtle things about mm-hmm. um, because a movie has to do a lot. Yeah, a movie has to do a lot in a little bit of time, and. Uh, it's funny because I'm I'm more into it's I, I love movies I always love movies but mm-hmm. today movies are being outshined in some way by the miniseries on you know Netflix and sure. HBO and whatnot mm-hmm. and the stories are getting drawn out longer so I think um, you know what a movie has to do a movie's like a short story you right know? it's two hours one story quick and so it has yep. to pack a lot in it, so does. it does it with color lenses angles and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and that helps. And so to like bring that back to photography, yeah, I mean that's a lot to ask to put into a picture, right? Well, if yeah, I mean if you think of now you've got a drawn out series like say Game of Thrones, right? Mm-hmm. Eight seasons worth of storytelling. Now, granted, a lot of that each episode by episode, there is some beautiful work done in some of those. It's not to take anything away from the drawn-out series. They're they're starting to bring the production quality of film into these TV series, which is amazing. I'm a huge fan. But if the series is your novel, in your example, and now the movie, 
we kind of look at that, okay, the movie is the short story, so you've got to condense a lot in more so than what the actors can verbally say on the screen. Mm-hmm. More, you know, you've got to condense a lot of story and emotion into a small package. A single image, you know, you, you could look at, say, a, a photo project, you know, maybe you've got 20 images or maybe it's a book of, what would an average book have, 60 to 100 images? Yeah. Same. Something like that. So maybe maybe that's like uh, a, a, poet, a poem, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now you've got a single image, which is like a haiku. You know, and right. you've got to pack a whole lot of information and meaning into just one frame. I think it can be done, and that's I, I hope so, because that's what I'm excited. It's kind of this thing that I'm like, I, I, I need to find out how this applies to my work, you know. And, but I, I think it can be done. I think it can be done. And when you talk about being creative, that is almost the literal sense of it. You are creating, right? You're not just recording something. Right. Even if you're looking at something, even if you're not setting something up to take a picture of it, you know, right. if you're looking at something in a certain way and you're moving at certain angles to get it and you're trying to, in your mind, right. you're creating a story, you're actually creating something exactly. out of nothing. So that's the literal form of being creative. <laughs> right. You know, um, well, there's a good example. I, I, I can't remember if I was talking to you guys in the chat here and in, in our little collective uh, Discord server, whatever you want to call it, or if it was somewhere else. But there's this this large group of um, they seem to be primarily female photographers because I don't know why. That's just what you find. But mm-hmm. they are people photographers who they'll shoot both for clients and for themselves as they basically document families. So instead of doing like a family portrait session, they spend all day with a family and just document a day in the life of, or they document their own family, all those little moments, you know, the kids eating breakfast, whatever it might be, brushing their teeth, the kid throwing a tantrum the next day, whatever it is. You know, Sally Mann kind of does some of this, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you think about that, and that's what kind of clicked with me here, too, because a lot of I, I do shoot my own family. Uh, I got two young kids, and so I'm photographing them. I should do more, but I, I, I go in kind of ups and downs where I do a lot, <laughs> and then I don't do any for a while. But um, looking at that, like how cool would it be if I approached it like I was essentially filming a movie but one still image at a time from all these different moments, and suddenly the kids are grown and out of the house, and I've got – you know, a couple books worth of images or whatever that are like, here's your life story. And it's all very, it's like looking at a book full of stills from, yeah, a, from a not, movie. It's not snapshots. Right. It's, certainly, it's, a, it's a different way of recording. And it's real moments. Yeah, yeah. But it's just going to have, hopefully, you know, if I can figure out the the two sides of my brain to make it work, you know what? What I'm envisioning versus the the technical application and practicing more than anything, it, it's going to have this feel like okay, this this is really a story of your life instead of just oh here's your fifth birthday party some snapshots you know whatever it is. I think that'd be so amazing to give someone. I, I agree, and that would be such um, a fun project. Yeah, like to tackle um, the. Discipline to do that. <laughs> yeah, right. That that's when I had my oh crap moment earlier. Really? Is that? Oh right? yeah. The the thought of like this is a major shift in how I shoot. I yeah. mean, in, in a lot of ways, but it doesn't have to necessarily be just your family. I mean, think about even if if you take your street photography for example, if you were to take that approach when you were out on the street, it's going to be a change from how you shoot normally. 
you know, because a lot of the times I know, you know, you've talked about how you'll, you'll kind of stealthily shoot mm-hmm. from the hip kind mm-hmm. of. Imagine if you went a little more intentional with it and started framing up elements, you know, little to, to, to tell more of an intentional story, like why am I taking this picture? And then figure out, even if it's one, one small, short, you know, five-syllable haiku, whatever it is yeah. uh, of that, and then you look back over six months or a month even, and you see like, holy cow, I've got all of these little snippets of stories that either individually or together make up this one, like, this is my story of my New York, my Brooklyn. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's a and, big thought, but. Well, I told you before we started recording, like, I've got a month off coming up in yeah. August. And part of my plan is to, you know, not just work for the month. I mean, I have two jobs. <laughs> and I, can, I can take off one job so I can work on another, but right. my other job lets, has a lot of flexibility. So. My plan is to do some kind of photography, and, and I really don't want to just take my camera into the street. I mean, I do want to like sort of get lost in New York City because I don't go into right. the city that often and just shoot. It's good to do that from time to time. Just let it your is. mind play. It is, but uh, I need to sort of replay what you're saying, um, mm-hmm. which is an interesting idea for me to start to think about when August comes up mm-hmm. uh, and approach the street photography in a different way and give it a shot. You know, I got a yeah. month to play around with. I mean, you know, worst I case, what, what's the worst that happens? They don't I turn don't, out. I, I sweat Nothing. a lot. Yeah. More. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm you get a little exercise. In, right. In New York in August, it's sweaty yeah. and hot. Big deal. I'll lose well, he, weight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's another thought though. Cause I mean, you, you love going to, to Greenwood. Yeah. You know yeah, what, yeah. what, like if you were to think about it now, could you approach that in a way that, that you know, you photograph there a million times. Well, maybe not a million, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Could you approach that with a li- a little more of like a cinematic approach, as if you were filming a, a documentary or telling a story about the place, but only one frame at a time. At a frame time. All right, I'm gonna put that on my list. <laughs> I mean, it's just that's kind of where my mind went with all of this, and that's where I'm kind of like, okay, I'm I'm thinking about all the things I shoot, and how could I do this, and how could I do that. So that's just kind of my real time, you know, thinking and spewing it out of my mouth at the same time. Well, I think that it's a worthwhile thing. Um, one of the things I was doing as I was coming home, I was reading, I went, I did a quick search about cinematic photographs, mm-hmm. came up with an article from Time Magazine, which I read pretty quickly from 2015. Okay. Um, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. I guess I'm allowed to do this. It's okay. Cause I'm not Heck reading yeah. the whole thing. Uh, It says, okay, so I'm going to start here. More and more, still photographers are playing with the cinematic before and after, bringing the language of visual progression to bear on individual pictures. There has been a move away from the modernist idea of the photograph as icon. So we've been talking about this already. Mm -hmm. Uh, Photographs aren't necessarily meant to stand alone anymore, but are instead allowed to depend on their neighbors. A single picture may not make any sense by itself, Rather, it is only in the context of others that it becomes meaningful. As opposed to cinematic style, pictures that make reference to key filmmakers or movies, we might call this cinematic structure. It is becoming increasingly popular in uh, common in photography. The simplest example of this in recent explosion uh, is a recent explosion of interest in the photo book. Far from obsolete, photo books have been given new life by the increased premium young photographers are giving to the pacing 
and the sequencing of their work. Uh, I, I fumbled it a little bit there because it's late and I'm tired. But the gist <laughs> right. of it was like uh, Ward showed us something on our collective today. Yeah. You know, with this, um, was it? Uh, group of high school kids in group Ohio. Of high school students, but yeah. put into a, into a zine form, their, yep. their book. And I was going through it, I think on Instagram, uh, they had right. posted pictures from the from it uh, more than than Ward showed, right? And I was like, and then tying in with what you're saying right now, like mm-hmm. yes, the individual picture, but and then reading what Time says, like putting it in context with other things, because a movie is something over time, mm-hmm. right? And you're talking about pictures of your family, putting you actually even sure. said that putting it yep. together in a book, so it becomes right. this context. Yeah, it's not just it. So maybe cinematic is. You know, it's still there because we're going from right. uh, we're going a, a sequence in time, right? Mm-hmm. We're showing more than one picture, but that each frame sort of is a scene in this whole you know this well, story of the book. But uh, but yeah, that 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 uh, those high school collective things. Right. I saw it as I started seeing it. Like, oh, maybe this is some kind of film, in right? Some way, you know. Well, and um, I think there's very much that potential for you know. If you're going to shoot this way, it's. It, I think it becomes natural to want to tell a story over time, you know, like like you're talking about. But I also think that even in the still uh, single random one-off photo, that uh, taking the time just to ask yourself, what am I saying with this image? Why is the camera at my eye right now? Even on a single image, I think it it changes the way, at least for me mentally, when I'm when I'm thinking about this and over the last week, it changes the way the language of even a single image feels to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where it almost even if it's not part of a larger series, if you look at you know look up any list of um, best cinema uh, cinematography still photos or something like that. You're going to find single images from all sorts of different movies that have mm-hmm. nothing to do with each other, mm-hmm. but each one of those images leave you looking at it going, oh, either you remember the movie, or if you don't even know the movie, you're like, I wonder what's happening in that scene. Right, 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 right. You know, and it's it's not always very, you know, it's not always just dramatic lighting. I mean, one list, I, I just pulled up something right now on, on some website, and it's showing a, a screen capture, which I've seen pop up a number of times, uh, from the movie Fargo. And it's it's all snow. I mean, if you remember the movie, it's supposedly yeah, yeah. set in Minnesota, but actually in the Dakotas. Um, and we don't really sound like that <laughs> too much. <laughs> but but this scene is just a, a kind of aerial top-down looking shot. There's some tire tracks. There's some little planters like in a parking lot, basically, snow-covered. A single person walking in a car pulled off, swerved to the side, kind of center mm-hmm. of the frame. And you look at that and... There's no context. You don't know anything about what's happening, but it makes you want to know. Right. And it's just a oh, single yeah. photo, yeah. not tied to anything. So I think it works both ways. It's very natural, I think, for it to flow into a project or a book or something like that. But also, when when Time Magazine, the, the way they worded that, what you were reading there, I can't remember exactly how you said it. They almost make it sound like it's a new thing. But, I mean, shooting in series and projects, that's been around, I mean... There's, oh yeah, you know some amazing photographers that you like to do like your deep dives and stuff and bring that knowledge to us as listeners. They, those guys shot in series all the time, long pro- like lifelong projects. You yeah. know what I mean? I was getting the sense that they were also just talking about the way to present. Like yeah, create, it could, creating could the be. photo book would be like 
I mean, right now, the the article is in 2015, so it's a right. few years ago. Right. But you're you're right, absolutely. That this has been doing for a while. But and I, I think it's a I think this is a topic that is like is an ongoing. Well, sure. Like, figure this thing out, but uh, right. I, I just realized I'm looking at the time. We've been talking for nearly an hour <laughs> about this. Yeah. Um, Crazy man. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm gonna let's put a uh, you know a bookmark here because right, I'd right. like to come back on this, especially with you, and find out how you're doing. <laughs> no, because I, I do. I, want, I'm curious really, too, man. Yeah. I mean, I want to come. From the point of view of, you know, this used to be switched to manual and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the gist of the way I like the show to go is to really get, you know, people learning um, from our experiences. You know, right. not, not every, like I said, nobody's going to school anymore. And this is, mm-hmm. I find this is the great way to sort of share that knowledge. So I'd like to follow you maybe a little bit on this that, sure. you know, uh, maybe dovetails with your your uh, podcast a little bit without giving anything away. But I love right. talking to you about this because I, this, anyway, I'm doing this selfishly because I kind of want to, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I Trust me, I know exactly how that is. That's why I loved interviewing people, why I even started my show. It gave mm-hmm. me a reason to talk to creatives that I otherwise normally wouldn't have had because if I just wrote some random person said, hey, can I call you and talk about the creative stuff you make for you know 45 minutes to an hour people are gonna be like what who are you (laughs) what are you even talking about you know and that that, i get it there you know that's that's one of those things where i mean no need to apologize for feeling selfish (laughs) everybody gets to hear you know hear my my journey as well too yeah i I like to share that so but before we go into like figuring out where you are i want you to uh give us like a short list of films, you know, off oh, the top man. of your head, if you can, mm-hmm. that have, um, you know, visually impressed you. Now, you know, you can go to the Deacons films or anybody else's films, but, yeah, you know, just just off the top of your head, if there's a few that, because I've got a few, well, so I'm going to say. Yeah, I, I mean, first. Sicario being the most recent I saw, obviously, that right now is one I'm looking at. I remember, though, and I didn't even realize he shot it, but No Country for Old Men was another one. That's a great film. I just watched that recently. Yeah, I need to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember that one being visually amazing. Um, I, you know, everyone's going to knock it and laugh because it's it's massive Disney and Marvel, but I'm telling you, with with Infinity War and Endgame, visually. I I just saw Endgame this weekend. Yeah, visually, beautiful stuff. I mean, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so some of those uh, you, you can't you can't go wrong either with with some of the classics. You know, like um, what is it, the uh, Odysseys? What is it? I can't think of the title. Two thousand one. Two thousand one. Yep. Um, you know, even even some TV series. I, I've been watching. Well, I just finished Game of Thrones. That's one I I loved how they shot that final season was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Love or hate the story. Yep, yep, <laughs> the yep, imagery yep. was beautiful. <laughs> You know that's that's I I could go on for hours. Yeah, there's yeah, tons all right. of them. Well, I'll give you I'll give you some. I'm gonna go through my yeah, hit me up. my pictures here. But then there are gonna be some obscure movies that people may not have heard of. Sure. Uh, well, this one is not obscure. Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, beautifully shot film. Uh, David Lean director. Uh, very very simple story. Most of the story is done visuals. Right. If you if you if you looked at this, I'm sure the script of this movie. Is very very thin. Most of the story <laughs> is done like it's in the desert. Yep. Uh, it's done with facial expressions. There's just you know it's one of those old movies. Yep. You know, cast of thousands. 
intermission in the middle mm-hmm. uh, would never be made today because <laughs> ne- people would b- fall asleep on it. Right. Because I mean, we're so used to different things, but it's beautifully shot. I mean, yeah. I got a lot of stills from that. You, was that, there's a lot of sunrises in that film too, I think, or there's sunsets. One, there's this great shot where this uh, sunrise happens in real time. Yeah. This guy's walking in the desert and and you see the sun just sort of creeping up over and it's it's done in real time. And right. It's that, yeah. It's incredible. So these, these are also films I recommend to see. You know, uh-huh. just, uh, another film which is, um, let's see. Oh, Gosh, darn it. there's so many. I'm trying to cut. <laughs> right. There's a there's a war film um, by uh, Stanley Kubrick called Paths of Glory. Okay. With uh, it's shot in black and white, and it's with Kirk Douglas, hmm. and, and it, he plays a French soldier. And you have to get over the fact that the French people are speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it takes place during World War One. Sure. Beautifully shot, black and white. You talk about black and white films. Yeah. Too. Uh, it is a war movie, so if people don't like war movies, you know, there's that to consider. But it's right. a, it's actually more about the the um, sort of the effects of war. You know, it's it's not very right. bloody because it's done in the '60s. Well, the uh, the other war movie when you when you said war movie, I thought you were going to say Apocalypse Now because that's another beautiful oof, shot. That is, yeah, I would that, <laughs> I would definitely say that. I want to I want to. Um, that I want to go for a little more obscure films that right. people might not have seen. <laughs> it just made me think of that. But that's it. That is yes, that is a gorgeous film. Yeah. Uh, another film by the guy who directed The Exorcist, uh, William Friedkin. It was okay. A film called Sorcerer, and this huh. came out the same year Star Wars came out, nineteen seventy-seven. Sure. And it and it didn't do well because Star Wars absorbed <laughs> most of the audiences. Right. But it's a remake of a. Well, it's actually it's a remake of a film. The, from the 50s called The Wages of Fear. And I think The Wages of Fear was a, made from a book or a short story. And that movie was a French movie. Also good, black and white. Okay. The Sorcerer is, uh, it's it's got a great soundtrack by Tangerine Dream. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember who the uh, cinematographer is on it. Uh, Roy Scheider from Jaws is in it. And it's, oh, a okay. simple, it's a simple story about these guys, these uh, four guys who meet each other randomly in this Central American town. They all came from different backgrounds. They're all criminals in some way. And they have the simple job of taking this um, these uh, vials of uh, nitrous, uh, nitroglycerin to an uh, oil fire to blow it out okay. through, the, through the jungle in these trucks. And it, it's just, it's like, you feel like, why would I want to watch that? <laughs> It is a, right. it, it's a psychological film, but the, the photography in it is unbelievable. Really? Is, and then when you read the story about how they made it, because they actually shot in the desert, I mean, in the jungle. Right. Uh, with these old trucks and stuff like that. So I, I definitely put that on the list. And I'll choose one more. Sure. I looked through. it up while you're looking. The Sorcerer, the that was William Friedkin. It's just called said, Sorcerer. It's not yeah. The Sorcerer. Yeah. yeah, Sorcerer. It looks like the director of photography, so cinematographer, is a gentleman by the name of Dick Bush. Who, yeah. I don't know what else he did, but yeah, it, it's just it's you know visually. Um, if you don't get into the story, the visuals are just uh, beautiful. And then right, they're taking. And I'll just do one last one. Yeah, as I scroll through here, and then we'll leave on this. Oh, um, a science fiction movie, eh, kind of science fiction. We call the Andromeda Strain. Oh yeah, from the sixties. Yeah, that yeah. was a weird movie to that again couldn't <laughs> be made today. They right. did a lot of split screen kind of things, 
Yeah. Uh, also a very, very long aspect ratio. Uh, it was a, I can't remember the aspect ratio off mm-hmm. the top of my head, but it's a very, very wide screen. And yeah. again, a lot of simple imagery, you know, uh, the, the story of uh, biological warfare, um, mm-hmm. uh, people trying to investigate. Anyway, you, you can go see this, but the yep. visuals in it are great. Uh, and again, another simple film. A lot, a lot of the films I think we're all talking about are they look simple, which are probably the hardest films to make, right? Well, that's that's in it's some way such a common it. theme. No, you're exactly right because think about any anything post processing techniques, HDR uh, HDR images. You look at um, filmmaking and CGI. The more you notice the effect, mm-hmm. the worse it is. Right, right. So the really good stuff. It doesn't draw attention to yourself. It to itself. It just sucks you in, and it's so good, and you're you're in it until you stop and look at it from that other side of things and go, "Holy cow! Look at the way that's done. Look at the way the colors are, the lighting, whatever else." Mm-hmm. If you're not noticing it, chances are it's really well done. Yeah, and and that takes a lot of skill. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of energy, but it, it, the payoff is high. You know, so right. Turning that back into what we're saying to sort of sum up, it's like, you know, this idea of, uh, of slowing down, looking carefully, knowing your, you know, knowing your gear, obviously. Right. Right. Because you're going to talk about you want to you want to speak with a lens. You want to speak with a depth of field. I mean, all the stuff that you're talking about, like what you're going to go and look at when you go out and shoot, you're going to have to take all that stuff into account. It's not right. just what you're looking at. You say, OK, the camera is going to record it in a certain way. The color is going to look a certain way. The lens is going to do something. And it's all going to contribute to the story Mm -hmm. of that image. And you have to be aware of that. Well, and I think not only be aware of it, but be able to to answer to even just yourself. I mean, you don't have to answer to anyone on the Internet. That's just the way it is. But to yourself, if you choose to shoot that at a shallow depth of field, know why. You know, no, have a good reason why you're doing that. What is it adding to the image? If you're going to shoot it wide open or you're going to stop way down, know why you're doing that, you mm-hmm. know? And it's it's being able to take all of those things and, and get to a point where with a lot of practice, it starts coming instinctively. Right. And, and the language that we learn from cinematography very much will then apply to the pictures. Exactly. So, you know, the, the before you're talking about the shallow depth of the field, it, uh, I'll say one last show. Uh, yeah. Handmaid's Tale uh, used Not. a lot of shallow depth of field shots when they focused on the main character. Yeah. And the idea behind that was to show how isolated the main character was. Okay. I haven't you know, seen it, but I heard it's beautifully shot. It's, I it have is, heard it's a fantastic show, too. It is. In, it's incredible in many ways. The photography is one of them. I mean, I did a ton of screenshots from that because I was like... <laughs> You know, and there's a lot of mix in it. There's depth of field, there's deep sure. depth of field, the shallow depth of field that they focus on the main character, and it says something. It really sets her apart right. from the world, which is what is going on with her. She is really kind of a part uh, in this world that she's living in. Sure. So that's the language. So you're right. You're saying you're going to shoot with a shallow depth of field. Know why you're going to separate the object or right. the, the, your subject from the background. Is that part of the story? And this is all very deliberate. Right. Intention. We're not just recording something, which is part of what we do in photography. We record something, capture it, you know, Mm -hmm. because we want to get it. Then we're talking about what you're doing. We want to talk about is like the the creativity part, Mm -hmm. the story part, 
and and those two things aren't mutual exclusive. You could do both, right. you know. Right. But even in the same, you know, if you're doing a project, yeah, both of those styles can live in the same project, you know. Yeah. So when it's it's I, I don't want to don't want to drag it on too long, but there was oh, even <laughs> even little details like when I was looking at um, I can't remember what film it was, but. They were knowing why you're doing something. When you think of a lot of times photography, we talk about having clean edges on your frame and all this stuff. You know, you don't mm-hmm. want a branch poking in or edge of a railing. There was a lot of shots I was seeing where they were intentionally leaving in maybe just part of someone's hand at the edge of the frame or the edge of a railing as they're they're looking down off like a deck or something down mm-hmm. to people down by a car in, in their driveway. But they intentionally left like just a slip of railing little bit, not prominent, not enough where it's pulled way back where you see everything, just that little hint of it to give a reason why that camera angle makes sense. Hmm. Little things like that even, and it's like, I don't, that's why I was in that in my panic mode still where I'm like, <laughs> how am I going to be able to figure all this out? <laughs> you know? Well, that's why a movie takes a long time to be made. I oh, mean, yeah. They, they have to figure this stuff out. And, and everything in a movie is deliberate. You know? <laughs> exactly. So you're talking about this, like thing. Well, yeah, we put that hand in there. That's exactly. on purpose, you know. That's so they know the other characters there. Whatever the point of right. view, it blows my mind. The more I read it, but I can't stop. I'm fascinated. It's yeah. it's in, it's intense and it's exciting and terrifying all at once. Well, that's the way life should be. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go <laughs> because you've given me a good amount of time. <laughs> I think we've uh, we've definitely put a bookmark on this to, to come right. back to it because uh, I definitely want to talk about this some more. I really Anytime. enjoy this. And I've always been into films too. So yeah. films Same and photography, here. yeah, they've always sort of gone together in my in my books. So Right. Dave, thank you for spending your Thursday <laughs> evening with me. Oh, it's I, my pleasure, man. Thanks for really, having me on again. I really appreciate it. It's almost Friday for me. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a minute away from Friday. Right. Hey Dave, look, let's tell everybody who uh, they're about to subscribe to your show because I told them to (laughs) where they can subscribe to your show and where they can find you. Well, you can, the easiest thing to do, if you head over to my website, it's just uh, davidswyduck.com. On the website, all the episodes go up there, but on the top, right in the menu on top, it just says podcast and you'll see adventures and creativity right there. Um, you can either listen to it right on my website, or if you want it, it's everywhere in any podcast player of choice. Just search for Adventures in Creativity, and you'll find it. Or I have links to all the main ones like iTunes and or Apple Podcasts, I should say, uh, Google, Stitcher, all that stuff, right on my website there. So that's davidswyduck.com is the easiest place to find everything there. And I'll put your links in my show notes. So. Yeah, because that last name is so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't spell it like it sounds. Exactly. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, thanks for giving uh, giving us a hint at what you're up to and, <laughs> and what we should start doing, what we'll do with uh, our cinema, cinematography. Awesome. My, my pleasure, and I, I look forward to see what you guys come up with as well because – we're, we're all adventuring together and we all learn from each other. So let me see what you guys are coming up with also. All right, cool. Again, I want to give a big thanks to David for spending his uh, evening with me. I love talking with him. And uh, you know what? If we were closer together, we'd probably be sitting over a coffee table 
uh, having a, a coffee or a beer or whatever and uh, just chatting. And it's kind of the way I wanted to talk to him about this stuff. But it's an ongoing discussion. I think uh, we're going to come back to this subject again. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening. And if you want to find me, you can uh, look at, uh, where's a good place to find me? Oh, you can find me at uh, Twitter, at AM Rosario. I'm pretty much at AM Rosario everywhere on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and Flickr. I'm AM Rosario. Website is amrosario.com, uh, so go check me out there. You can drop me a line uh, if you want. And, uh, yeah, if you guys are listening to me on iTunes, you know, please leave uh, reviews and messages. Uh, let us know how uh, – let me know. Excuse me. I'm awesome. still in the switch to manual mode. Uh, it's me and Tom. But, yeah, let me know uh, how you like the show, and, and please tell – Tell your uh, friends about us. Get get uh, get switch to manual up there. And I also want to plug again David's uh, show, uh, Adventures in Creativity. I really highly suggest that you uh, uh, subscribe to it because I am really inspired with him and his discussions. And uh, sometimes I really need to hear somebody that's not in my head to help try to uh, spark the creativity. So I really want to plug uh, Dave and his show. It's a really great show. You won't regret uh, regret it. So anyway, until... Oh, so, you know, we're moments away from my episode 100. I'm going to have... Uh, I think I'm going to have some new music for you. I'm not sure what I want to do for the 100th show. I'm not expecting to do anything big. I don't know what I can I can do. But yeah, the two more episodes to my 100th episode. So... I look forward to seeing you guys in, gosh, it'll be the end of June. It'll be a month from now that we'll be doing that. So anyway, thanks for hanging in with me, and uh, I'll talk to you later. And as Tom would say, adios. Adios.